Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e-commerce business to the next level with your hosts, Kaylin and Philip. Welcome everyone again to another episode of the e-commerce toolbox. Joining us today, we have the Scrum Master, we have the Agile King, and more importantly, we have the head of DevOps from Bass Pro Shop, Mr. Jared Poole. Thanks for joining us, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me, Kaylin. Good to be here. Awesome. So Jared and I actually go way back. I'll just do a brief introduction. Jared used to head up the Agile team and technical support delivery at Scrubs and Beyond for a few years. Prior to that, he worked heavily with Magento WordPress websites at the agency level. He actually even, after buying Noibu, implementing Noibu at a previous company, decided to do a bit of consulting with us, really helped us boot up our technical engineering side of the business before he made his move to Bass Pro Shop, where he's heading up the DevOps department, as I mentioned before. So thank you, uh, Jared. Obviously, you have a ton of experience in e-com. This is going to be a really tactical episode. I'm very excited for it. So I mean, I don't really have to introduce Bass Pro Shop, 150 plus locations, huge outdoor retailer. So maybe let's start off with what brought you to Bass Pro Shop. I know you typically more so worked on the agency side and then with a few smaller retailers. Why did you jump to the behemoth? So fun story. I started getting into agency work and going more towards that realm because there just was a lot of opportunity where I'm from for a Magento software engineer or a Magento DevOps engineer. I'm actually from Springfield, Missouri, and guess where Bass Pro Shop started? After gaining a lot of tools and gaining a lot of experience in e-commerce and e-commerce support management, I found out that Bass Pro Shops was making a lot of moves to become more modern in their methodology for support and for server maintenance. So that's something that I was really interested in. I found out that there was an opening and I jumped at the opportunity. That's awesome. I mean, they're lucky to have you. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Well, I read it in the show notes ahead of time, I'm going to be honest, but I didn't make the connection until you, you said it. All right, we're talking DevOps today. So talk to me a bit about how DevOps is key to the customer journey. Maybe walk me through kind of how you guys look at that from your role and when you're leading your team, how you kind of weave in the customer experience to how you guys are looking at DevOps. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times when you think of customer experience and you think of a good user journey, you don't really think of what's happening on the background, what a DevOps team actually does. So what my team really does is we uh, run the Linux servers for VastPro.com and Cabela's.com. We make sure that there's a good reliability. And when we're looking at implementing DevOps methodology, we are covering our service level objectives or SLOs to make sure that essentially the doors are open. We want to make sure that we have three or four nines of availability, that when there are events that we're able to jump on them and mitigate them quickly, and that the uh, users are just having an overall good experience from a site reliability, site speed, and optimization standpoint. Cool. Makes a ton of sense. I think that makes sense from a high level. How do you actually deduce that down into KPIs for your team? I know you mentioned some of them from a high level, but what are kind of, how do you look at KPIs when it comes to DevOps and linking that back to customer experience? So when we get into DevOps, and this is sort of a new methodology for Bass Pro for sure. And if you don't know much about DevOps methodology, there's a lot of materials out there to, to cover that. But the typical SLOs that a team will follow for DevOps methodology, the number one is going to be availability. 
making sure that the site is up and available for your customers 99.9999% of the time. Some sites go all the way up to 16 nines to make sure that even if there is one 500 level error or 400 level error, that's a failure in that, in that regard. We're pretty uh, lenient right now. We, we look for four nines. And what that means is we want to make sure that when users are on the site and they're checking out, that they're not getting some sort of weird random, you experience a server error or some pop-up that says there was a problem. We also want to make sure that new code can be introduced very quickly. So one big thing about DevOps methodology is increasing the frequency of code releases. So that's one way that we can really make that user experience better is by making sure that the code is stable, that the site is secure, and that we're able to introduce new features and new code as quickly as possible. So that way the users can continue to enjoy their experience and you know, buy more. That's usually the, the overall goal. So that is release frequency is typically a secondary objective. When we get into other tertiary objectives, we were also looking at things like how quickly we are responding to an event. So if something happens, how many minutes does it take us to realize that something happened? How long does it take to resolve the issue? So we get to time to notice, time to resolution, and time to acknowledgement are some of the key places as well. That could mean that if a user experiences a issue clicking on a button to add to cart, how quickly do we see that a user was able, not able to add something to cart? How quickly are we able to find the root cause of that issue? And how quickly are we able to introduce a fix to make sure that the user can continue with their shopping experience? So out of the eight that usually most teams use in order to track their success as a DevOps team, my team focuses on those top five right there. So I think it's pretty first principles as well. If the website's not up, you can't use the website. And then from there, you have key parts of the website, like the checkout, the add to card. If those aren't working, the website might as well not be up because it's there to transact with, right? So no, that makes a ton of sense. So I know DevOps, stability, incident resolution, incident management, all very important. How does security at DevOps kind of interject? How are those things related? So one of the new trends, or I say new, it's been around for a few years, but getting into what's called DevSecOps is where you introduce security into the DevOps methodology. And that's where you apply similar methodology to event notice, event recognition, and event resolution and mitigation. And that event uh, can be a bad actor or a bot trying to take the site down with a DDoS attack. That could be a bot trying to do what's called carding and going through a big list of cards to find ones that work on your site. There's a lot of different attack vectors that security teams will look at on a website to make sure that our customers feel safe about transacting with our site. Now, my team doesn't really handle security specifically. We are just DevOps, but we do have a partner team that is focused on security. And I don't really have a lot that I can talk about with what they do because that's their pie right there. Makes sense. Like anything else, you said something else, you probably learn on a daily or weekly basis that there's something that happens that you didn't anticipate the week earlier could happen. How do you build automation to kind of account for that in the future? And I guess my question is more so is, how do you leverage as a DevOps thought leader and DevOps leader, like how are you leveraging automation to make your team more effective, but also cover more use cases and cover more ground? Absolutely. One of the first terms that you'll learn about in DevOps is called shift left. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that when we are testing, when we are finding issues, that we find it as early in the process as we possibly can. So when we're looking at uh, environments where websites exist, what the customer usually sees is what we call the production environment. Now, that can go all the way back to just a developer's computer, which is what we typically refer to as a local machine. 
And then there's usually dev instances, staging, UAT instances, a whole slew of places that happen before you even get to production. So shift left methodology just means that we try to implement automation to find things and test things as early as possible in that chain to make sure that we don't introduce bugs and we don't introduce instability at the production level. So the way we are doing that, we're implementing all sorts of new technologies and new methodologies in Bass Pro. We are getting into Kubernetes and containerization to make sure that we are keeping things as quick and agile as possible when we are deploying new code and deploying new systems. We are using Ansible. We're using Terraform for infrastructure as code to make sure that we take as much of that human element out of the equation. What we what you usually find is errors come up when we have server administrators jumping on a server and using uh, command line and cowboy coding something on the fly to find a bug or to try to mitigate a bug. And that's where we introduce the most type of instability is when we are actually getting physically onto a server and typing into a keyboard. So that's where we really try to leverage automation to make sure that we aren't seeing those types of problems. So one other piece of that is going to be with QA. So my team doesn't really handle QA. We have a sister that manages the QA. But as a DevOps team, it is our duty to make sure that we can introduce automation for that. So we are plugging in uh, automation for functional testing, for performance testing, for UAT, using things like JMeter, using things like Selenium to test things early on to make sure that we go through and run through what a typical user journey would be like to make sure that users will be able to purchase and successfully transact at an early level. And that way we don't introduce that instability later on. Makes a ton of sense, Jared. I love how you're always thinking about how to collaborate with additional teams as well. I think that's really important that uh, DevOps is very much an enablement function. It kind of is the gasoline to the car or the oil to the kind of brake system. So really, really, really good to hear that. Switching gears a little bit, getting a bit more broad stroke. Obviously, you have a lot of e-commerce experience and you have broad range of experience. Talk to me a bit about some of the top trends that you're seeing right now and some of the stuff that you think is noise and some of the stuff that you think is actually, it's got the sauce and it's here to stay. So there's a couple things that happen in there. Obviously, AI is going to be, not is going to be, it already is taking over. And we're finding a couple of things there. So we can talk about the plus side and the minus side of AI here in a second. And the other part is it's not new news anymore, but it's becoming more feasible for most companies getting into headless and composable technology. I'm starting to see a lot of push from many organizations to go composable, get rid of these big monolithic systems in the background, and make sure that we're able to introduce code quickly. And that's why composables are really cool. Back on the AI coin, people are trying to figure out how to plug AI into every aspect of their business. And that's a really, really great way to look at things. What that's making us do is it's making us look at data differently. I remember before AI became this big boom that we were already trying to figure out how to put all of our data into these data lakes, data warehouses, data storage, data lake houses. I mean, there are, there are so many different terms that we can use for, uh, for big data. And then comes in chat GPT with ways to more intelligently analyze this data. And I think it was kind of, uh, I'm not sure if it's a chicken or egg scenario, but I think they, they kind of came in all uh, at one uh, with machine learning and with advanced language translation services. So when we're looking at what that means, two things, we are getting more intelligent and more quick with how we are analyzing data in order to make changes that are good for customers. But it also means that we're spending a lot of money pouring through lots of data and sometimes making what I refer to in economics as a post-hoc fallacy. 
Just because C comes after A and B doesn't mean that A and B causes C. So we get into a lot of miscorrelation and mistranslation with data. I think a good analogy would be, you know, we talk about leading a horse to water. What we're now doing is we're just letting horses run around randomly and seeing if they find a source of water and hoping that that's the right way to get there. Sometimes customers need to be shown the way to their happy path or their happy journey. So there's a good line in between there. Makes sense. And I think just to summarize kind of what you're saying is composable commerce you think is here to stay. So the reason for that is these monolithic systems are hard to make changes, hard to be agile. And as e-commerce becomes the biggest store for most retailers, where it used to be the smallest store for a lot of retailers, definitely in a post-COVID era, I think what you're effectively flagging is having composable commerce is something that's here to stay. ChatGPT's AI, well, AI is not just ChatGPT, but AI is kind of a big theme and making sure that your data is structured correctly. And then it sounds like one of the things that you think might be a bit of noise is kind of, yeah, like false correlation, causation, kind of like what we were chatting about before around the overanalyzation, right? Like, hmm, if we move this image to the left, from the left to the right, it shows for these users that conversion increases, where at the end of the day, those users might have just converted at a higher rate for some other reason, right? So fully aligned on that. Maybe talk to me about some of the top challenges that you see going into kind of more on the DevOps side. What are some of the top challenges that someone who's heading up a team at a large company in your role would see? So along with composable commerce and getting rid of these big monolithic systems is the reality that there's still going to be a monolithic system in the background somewhere. (laughs) So we still have to have an ERP. We still have to have an OMS. We still have to have a way to manage inventory, manage warehouses, ship things out. So all we're doing is we're obfuscating what's happening in the background. We're obfuscating that uh, supply chain from the customer so that way they can focus on having a good customer experience and purchase products easier. So with that comes APIs. Getting in and structuring APIs in a way that makes sense to not just uh, humans, but also machines. So what I see a big challenge in right now are well-documented and well-defined APIs into these big monolithic structures. Because to have a good headless or composable e-commerce site, you have to have a way to communicate to those things, to be able to pull the right levers, to be able to ship products out to the right people. Cool. To your point, it's kind of like the e-commerce is probably not close to as uh, challenging as financial services or like banks. But to your point, a lot of these retailers had a system that might have been homegrown. It might have been a legacy platform and everything's just such piled on it. It's always a big band-aid to rip, right? It's like, and we see it on our side. Anytime someone's doing an ERP migration, it's like, oof, that deal's not closing for six months. You know what I mean? It's kind of all hands on deck. So it's great. How does someone in your role parse noise from signal? So just kind of getting tactically, in my experience, sometimes there's a bug on the CEO's husband or wife's device, right? And all of a sudden that becomes top priority and it's kind of conflated into this larger issue or Maybe there's a couple of customers in a row that complained about the same thing, but maybe it's just a user error. Like, how are you parsing all these signal from noise? Because your team's definitely, you're kind of sitting there and waiting for someone to kind of do a drive-by with uh, some information that might send you guys down a rabbit hole. Uh, it happens all the time. Uh, and not just at, at my current role at Bass Pro, but you know, in the past, uh, within the agency world and at Scrubs Beyond, it's what we often refer to as chasing ghosts. Sometimes we'll have a ghost event that'll pop up We'll go through, try to find the ghost, we'll get out our tools, we'll go hunting and it'll disapparate and we'll never see it again. So part of that 
is just making sure we have multiple sources. When you're talking about signal, you never want to just focus on one source of signal. You want to make sure you have multiple sources of signals and you can corroborate those signals together to reduce the noise. So when you have signal strength by corroborating those signals together, that's when we cut through noise. So there's going to be situations where, you know, CEO's wife wasn't able to purchase a product or somebody in a specific region or zone uh, experienced outages because maybe down the road, there was an internet outage in an area and we just weren't able to see that. So being able to go through and use different tools, be able to use a monitoring tool to be able to see what that user experience actually was, being able to have some sort of APM to see on the back end what was happening from that regard going in and looking at different service tools in our servers or within our APIs to see what was happening there. And just being able to adjust and look and corroborate that noise uh, from different signals to be able to get to a true root cause. In essence, we become detectives. Using the ghost hunt analogy is actually a really great one because when you're going on a ghost hunt, you want to make sure that you're able to get to that root cause and find what was actually happening. Yeah. And just to kind of add on to what you're saying, I think being able to visually understand what the customer is seeing at a session level, super critical, being able to dive into the, whether it's a server side issue or JavaScript issue, client side, being able to actually dive into those details is going to effectively superpower. I think the days of Sally couldn't check out on an iPhone and it might've been an Android. Jared, I want you to go investigate that please with your team. And spending the afternoon on that, I think those days are done. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of great tools that are out there that help with that. As we look to cap this off, this is my favorite question to ask. What do you think one thing is that e-commerce brands should stop doing? The one thing that you think a lot of them are doing that they maybe shouldn't be doing anymore? I think going back to the miscorrelation, miscausation conversation that we were having a few minutes ago is the big one. A lot of companies are spending millions and millions of dollars pouring through analytics, whether that is going to be analyzing unstructured data to determine happy paths or user journeys by adjusting the color of a button from blue to teal, getting into personalization and overthinking personalization too much. A lot of customers, they have their own perception of what noise is to them. So when we're getting the analytics and getting into personalization campaigns, A lot of customers are just losing interest because they're getting bombarded with daily emails about check out this product in this color or you left this in your cart, maybe you would like this one as well. And then when we get into that mindset of what's the next thing we can suggest for Joe or what's the next thing we can suggest for Sally that would make them want to buy, a lot of times we're letting these, our own opinions kind of bleed into this. I see a lot of companies where we'll take some of those analytics and learnings and we'll introduce our own subjectivity to it and say that this product here really needs to come off the shelves. We need to find a way to get rid of it. Let's start introducing this into the may we suggest or maybe we should start introducing this into the abandoned cart emails. So keeping shopping relevant, I think, is important. And what we have done is we've introduced so much new data and so much new technology into this world that we are just making it so irrelevant. I think you and I are very similar. We're grassroots guys, nuts and bolts, very first principles. You're from Springfield. I'm from Ottawa, Canada. And I think at the end of the day, you got to make sure the website works. If there's blockers on the website, you got to remove the blockers on the website. I think to your point, people are getting caught up in this. Oh, you got to move this part of the content from the left to the right or this, that. And you know what? Like 
maybe there's some validity to that. But I think, to be honest, like you mentioned before, I think there's just not enough juice in the lemon, you know, to get some lemonade. So on that note, I think this is a great place to wrap it up. Wanted to thank you, Jared. I know you're a really busy guy for hopping on. I know I've been chasing you down for a while to get on this. So really, really appreciate taking the time to do this. And yeah, I think everyone listening to this definitely learned a lot. So appreciate your time again. And thank you, Kalen. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. Cheers. The e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives is brought to you by Noibu. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U.com. And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening. 